Ortho Laser Orthopedic Laser Centers is proud to sponsor the Ortho Show podcast. Ortho Laser Orthopedic Laser Centers is killing it right now. We have six centers open with two more opening in the next eight weeks with 10 more sites in the queue across the country. We're exclusively powered by the MLS M8 laser technology. Laser treatment is an awesome alternative to traditional cortisone shots and surgery for all of your acute and chronic orthopedic pain needs for your patients. To find out how you can supercharge your orthopedic practice and become a part of the OrthoLaser community, go to the OrthoLaser website at www.ortholaserwithaz.com. That's www.ortholaserwithaz.com. From Medical Media, this is The Ortho Show. Hello, world. It's pro time again on the Ortho Show podcast. Dr. Scott Sigmund here, uh, host of the Ortho Show podcast. We're going to uh, change it up here a little bit from our usual path of talking stories with great orthopedic surgeons. We're bringing back an old regular, the most affable, most positive orthopedic surgeon on the planet, Dr. Mike Redler. And of course, we're going to change it up a little bit because we've asked all of our uh, listeners out there to maybe send in some questions and some thoughts about what they may have. And so we're bringing in uh, Ben Young, the extraordinary English not so good from across the pond producer, uh, who's going to be our MC for the day and basically ask the questions and keep us in line. So this should be a lot of fun. We're all about levity and brevity uh, and answering some good orthopedic questions. So Ben, take it away. All right. I want to ease you in slowly before we get to some of the tougher questions. So, uh, and there will be a prize, obviously, for the chap that answers uh, each question the best. I haven't figured out the prize yet, but bear with me. Uh, maybe it'll be a curling iron. We'll see how we get on. So it, question number one that came in uh, over LinkedIn is, is there any real value to patient monitoring devices in orthopedics today? And if you could invent the ultimate patient monitoring device, what would it be able to do? Hey, patient monitoring devices, that's, that's sort of a, a, an unusual question because, you know, orthopedic surgeons were all about doing. You see a problem, you fix it. You see a fracture, you fix it. You have an ACL that's torn, you want to reconstruct it. You know, I think that the big challenge that we have as orthopedic surgeons, frankly, is really being able to understand the level of real discomfort or pain that a patient has. And that becomes a challenge, and clearly pain is perceived differently. But if there was a monitoring device that really could get to the bottom of a patient's level of discomfort, I think we could more accurately uh, deal with that and and help these patients. I think that's actually good. I think one of the things that we're really trying to do is, is keep patients out of the office if we can. And uh, so I think uh, with some of these physical therapy platforms that we've been talking to, being able to monitor patient steps, perhaps their heart rate, their oxygen saturation, all of these things. And I think we're pretty close. I think with Apple and some of the, the watches and things that people can wear, uh, we should be able to really track and monitor, monitoring range of motion, even strength. All of those things, I think, could be incorporated into a home physical therapy platform where we would be able to monitor all of those things. Uh, let's, we're going to go now with one that's related to the, you know, the current situation, the times that we're in. So patient marketing during COVID-19, should we stop? Should we start? Should we reallocate that spend? Uh, so I believe that that's probably from Matthew Ray Scott, who I describe as the brand man, who has 
probably the best beard in orthopedics on LinkedIn. And it's a great question. And the answer is uh, market, market, and market. Uh, this is the time. I think the days in which you can sit back waiting for a primary care doctor to refer you patients because you hung up a shingle, those days are gone. People are smart. They're astute. They go to places like doctor.com and on vitals and all the health grades. They know what your ratings are. They know what you do and how you do things. And people uh, look and search on their own, trying to find doctors based on the opinions of others, not just necessarily the primary care. Uh, well, I think marketing is real important, but I'm going to go a little bit of a different uh, viewpoint right now. You know, frankly, in these days when we're dealing with a pandemic and patients are clearly uncertain of what their options are, you know, what is okay to take care of, what needs to be put off, we need to reach out to them. And I think it's more direct marketing that is also educational. Patients need to know, is elective surgery safe? Is this a problem that really can wait? Is this something whereby if I wait, I'm going to have a less ideal outcome? And so it's marketing, but it's also educational. So it serves two purposes. One, to make the patient aware of what you're able to offer them in terms of orthopedic surgery. But two, also allow them to know exactly, you know, what is doable and okay to do during this crazy time. Well, that's a really nice transition, actually. Good segue into the next question. It's kind of a long-winded question, so bear with me for a moment here. But are delays in COVID testing results still holding up elective cases? And if so, is there much point in performing those tests when the results are delayed and often inaccurate? And what so what are the solutions uh, to, that are to these challenging times for orthopedic practices and, and ASCs? You know, we're speaking to a nationwide audience here, and obviously different parts of the country are at different spectrums in terms of dealing with uh, the pandemic. You know, in Connecticut, we've been doing elective surgery very successfully for about eight weeks now. There are extra hoops to jump through, but I know there's some hard-hit states now, California, Texas, Arizona, and Florida, that are seeing this big resurgence where sometimes elective surgery may be less likely to be possible. But I think that we are ordering these tests because there's clearly some situations that are still very urgent. In the height of the pandemic, I had a woman who was running. She had a bad injury to her shoulder, and it turns out she had a massive rotator cuff tear. And we were able to do the MRI and confirm that this is one of those ones that if we didn't fix soon, it would be more difficult to fix down the line. So the test was appropriate. The urgent surgery is appropriate. And now she's recovered and doing very, very well. So I think we still have to know what it is that we're dealing with. Tests are important, but again, we're going to have to tailor it to different parts of the country in terms of where they are in terms of dealing with this uh, apparent resurgence. Yeah, that's, that's actually a really good point, Michael, and really well taken. So we just had Eamon Ferry on from Scottsdale. And, you know, while in Boston and Connecticut, you know, we were getting nailed early on and now we're coming through it and doing well. He's doing He's having a hard time and the, the numbers are up and they don't have as many people to staff the hospital. But what's fascinating for me here in Boston right now, uh, I think my numbers are pretty close to 85, 90 percent of the patients that we're seeing are surgical volumes increasing. And I will admit the hospital and surgery center has been doing better. And we're now getting turnaround times on COVID tests in five hours. So if I have a patient with a locked knee on Monday that I want to operate on Tuesday, they can zip over, get their test done. And our hospital now has the testing equipment in the hospital where we typically were sending it out previously. So we're getting there. You know, we're learning it. We're going to get better at what we're doing here. 
you know, I'm still hesitant to take anybody that's going to require hospitalization followed by rehab hospitalization for surgical intervention. I'm putting those patients off back to the queue. We're doing injections like Zilretta uh, or Iovera, things that are going to provide them long-term pain relief uh, and then keep them out until we get a vaccine, until everyone's comfortable that we can move around safely. Okay. Let's stick with this um, pandemic theme just for a couple more questions. And then we're going to transition into some stuff that's a bit more around your, your, your general practice and your life. So it, this might be a no brainer, but this came in not only through Scott's LinkedIn, but it came in through the LinkedIn page uh, of the ortho show itself. Is talent medicine here to stay? So I think I'm up. So uh, I hope so, man. I'll tell you, I love it. I mean, the idea of being able to provide care, you know, for our patients, you know, I call my lawyer. I spoke to my lawyer for two hours today. I can guarantee you he's sending me a bill. Okay. So the idea uh, that we as doctors could not communicate with our patients and then be reimbursed for our time and make it more efficient for the patients who are not driving an hour and a half each way and then sitting in a waiting room for an hour. It's great for patients. It's great for us. So I have a great story. So, you know, here we have this pandemic and there's good things and bad things. So uh, a, a young woman who's a senior at Amherst College, who's an absolute genius, who's an amazing soccer player, who's also my patient, decided to take a semester off uh, this year because she wants to be able to compete in soccer uh, in the springtime. And so that's what she was doing. So she was looking for a job. So she called me and said, you know, can I be a medical scribe? I'm also thinking about going to medical school. So it'd be cool if I could hang out. So I said, you know, I said, Cassie, why don't we, why don't we make this sort of like a, a paid internship? You know, come on in. You can run around with a computer. And it's like the coolest thing. I've got, <laughs> I've got this, you know, $16 an hour employee who's an absolute genius, who's fixed every single EMR macro in my system. She learned it on her own. She didn't need to be taught it. She's setting up my patients for telemedicine so that I can go see a patient. I come out, the patient's on the computer waiting for me. It's like feed the tuna mayonnaise. It's like one of those, you know, sort of great, great moments where it's like, why were we thinking about this? So I'm going to keep her and I'm really hoping that we're going to do that routinely going forward. So, Michael. So, Scott, $16 yeah, that's pretty an good. hour, huh? <laughs> and, and we're talking benefits? Or <laughs> no, what are you're we coming up? <laughs> don't, keep, don't quit your day job. <laughs> no, I'm not coming up. But listen, I think that, um, you know, I want to make certain that she's getting paid what she's worth. And, you know, I'd, I'd like to speak to her because I think she can negotiate a better deal. <laughs> uh, look, you're, you're, a luck, you're a lucky guy, and you obviously have a lot of athletes that devoted for you and are willing to work for less than uh, what is uh, appropriate salary. Having said that, uh, telemedicine has been one of the things that's been very good that's come out of this pandemic, clearly. Uh, patients like a visit from their doc or their living room. They like the safety of it. They like the uh, intimacy of it. They don't like having to deal with the hustle and bustle of the uh, offices, and especially now with the social distancing and waiting in your car sometimes. And so uh, it's been able, it's been allowed us rather to really reach out to really get to know what these patients are like. And it's actually, frankly, not only is a great form of communication and a great, great way of helping take care of patients, but it's also sort of interesting to see patients on their home turf as well. It allows you to understand them better. And the better you understand them, the better care you can take care of them. So obviously with uh, team sports being somewhat canceled all across the nation, um, although some pro sports are coming back, are you doing a, a lot less sports medicine specific surgeries? Go ahead, Michael. Uh, well, I, I think that we're doing a little bit of different sports medicine surgeries. And, and, and you know, the interesting thing is, is that I think early on, 
a lot of these injuries we're seeing with the athletes who are either trying to get in shape or doing things that they wouldn't normally do. Uh, I think that, you know, personally, I think I'm seeing uh, somewhat less ACL injuries than I was in the past. Uh, on the other hand, I'm seeing people that are falling off their quads or their bicycles or other injuries because they're doing other things as well. So uh, less contact injuries, less ACL injuries uh, right now, but they're being made up with these same athletes are finding different ways to get hurt because they still got to get their endorphins going. They still have to do activity, uh, but it, it's, it's not the same. So yeah, there, there's a slight variation in the surgeries that we're seeing and the injuries that we're seeing now. Yeah. I mean, I would take it a little further and say, I've definitely seen a reduction in sports medicine related injuries and surgical interventions. So specifically, like my, Michael said, as far as ACLs are concerned, uh, we're definitely still seeing the repetitive motion movement stuff now more than we, you know, before people were stuck in the house, they're all coming out now. Uh, so we're still seeing the rotator cuffs and the infl- inflammation type stuff, but uh, you know, true, you know, multi-leg injuries of the knee uh, shoulder dislocations are down too because we're not seeing the contact athletes in that direction. Uh, so, you know, unfortunately we're not getting great news at the high school level that it's going to be getting any better or the Massachusetts state association initially put out a bulletin that they were going to allow football on September 15th. But now the word is there will be no sports typically up until uh, in the winter time. Then they're going to try and phase it in. They're going to do winter for two months. They'll do uh, fall for two months and then do spring for two months. So the multi-sport athletes will still be able to participate in their senior year if that's what it is. And so it's uh, unfortunate. And this whole baseball thing doesn't look much better every day. They're getting more COVID. So we'll see how long major league baseball lasts. I'm not so sure. Might be an extra, extra short season. Well, it, it, it may be. You know, the interesting thing is, it, going back to that same thought, is that what I am seeing is a bunch of my college athletes whereby I've done their ACL reconstruction, I've done their surgery for shoulder instability, and they're actually getting that little extra time to rehab. They're not trying to rush back quite as much. The graft's a little bit more mature. They're a little bit further out from surgery. And, and, and though they're frustrated not be playing, they said, listen, Here's the good news. The silver lining is you're getting a little bit more time. Your strength is better. Your stability is better. You've had more maturation of your grass. So you try and take these athletes that are, are, are in the rehab phase of it and put a little bit of a positive spin on it. Okay, let's switch gears. Let's, let's leave this uh, frustrating pandemic behind us. I'm sure we're all over that. Let, let's, um, let's get into some slightly tougher questions for you, Chad. So what, what surgery or technique are we currently doing as a community that we shouldn't be and what should we be doing instead? Michael, why don't we start off with you? God, that is like, I I don't want to criticize any question, but I think that that is one of those ones. It's, it's, it's like, I'm not sure there is a right answer and they're not going to insult some surgeon there as well. Listen, uh, I, I think that one of the things as surgeons that we have to do is to balance that idea between the quick fix and uh, you know, what is timed, tested and and true. And I think don't be the first guy on the block to do any procedure. On the other hand, never stop learning, never stop refining your procedures. And and things that were acceptable 10 years ago are now out of vogue. And I think 10 years from now, some of the things we're doing now are going to be. So I think you have to sort of use your own judgment in terms of balancing between being on cutting edge, uh, but don't do something where it's not going to be in vogue years from now. There was a uh, time where years ago where they thought you could go in and do what's called capsular shrinkage for uh, instability of the shoulder. 
and it gained popularity. They thought it was easy to do, and it did poorly for so many shoulders, even in the intermediate stage. So if you jumped on that bandwagon, you weren't doing well for your patients. There is going to be something out here today that's going to be the new capsular shrinkage where you have to really think long and hard before you adopt that into your practice. Yeah, that reminds me of the Seinfeld episode. I think we're all going to agree that shrinkage is bad. So we'll just move on from well, there. <laughs> well, you, you, you knew that line was coming. <laughs> it, it, that was a beautiful, that was a softball right out of the park. Um, so uh, so I, I, I'll go this way. You know, I think of certain procedures like uh, black licorice and the Grateful Dead. And that is you either love it or you hate it. So if we had two people on the show right now and they were doing total knee replacements, you could get one guy up who would say robotic total knee replacement is absolutely not necessary. There's never been any literature to support that the outcomes are any better than standard. And then you could get the robotic guy who would sit there and say, well, my results are so much better and I feel so much comfortable and you know, my patients tell me I'm doing great. So bottom line is, is that that's a really tough question. I think it depends on which side you stand uh, and we'll leave it at that. But what, what is the next big evolution in orthopedics? Well, the, the, the answer is, is, is biologics. And, and uh, I think our ability to be able to uh, take care of the biology of healing and help the body or enhance the body to be able to, to heal itself is going to be the next big stage. It's basic science. Uh, some of the things we're doing now are going towards basic science. And there's a lot of promise. You know, people talk about stem cells, but that can mean everything. Uh, platelet-rich plasma gets used for an awful lot of things, some things better than others. But I think our ability to be able to help the body heal itself is going to be the next big stage. And, and that's got to go back to basic science. And once we get a better hold on that, we're going to be able to help patients uh, heal better. I'm going to have to ride the coattails of Michael Redler on that, and I'm going to agree. And I'll just focus a little bit more on it. And I think that I look at regenerative medicine right now like a shotgun. Okay. There's no doubt if you jam a needle into somebody's pelvic bone and pull some stuff out and you spin it down and then inject it into somebody, one or two or three of the pellets inside that shotgun blast are probably the thing that's making a difference. So we need to figure out those pellets and then we can shoot rifles instead of shotguns. And that's where the, that's where the true advance will be. And not necessarily, I just read an article about stem cells and they incorrectly started talking about how stem cells were going to change the course of the disease of osteoarthritis. And there's no proof of that. What they proved was that patients that underwent three stem cell injections had improved patient-reported outcomes over that year-long period. But that doesn't necessarily state that cartilage is going to regrow. Do I think that that may happen down in the future? Absolutely. Why not? But I don't think it's happening anytime soon. So you jam it in. Is that what you do there? I just want to make sure I understood that. Here's what I do, Michael Redler. I send the patient to a doctor that's going to charge them $5,000. Then they're going to be the ones to jam it into the pelvis. I'm, I'm really glad we clarified that. <laughs> Beauteous. Sounds lucky I didn't become a, a surgeon. It sounds like a very technical. <laughs> it was really complex, these techniques. Um, here's an interesting question that came in. Um, why do some patients form more scar than others, specifically in shoulders? Who wants to feel that one first? Um, well, but, but, but. okay, time's up. All right, so listen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
you know, yeah, the uh, formation is, is interesting. And I think it, it goes back to our answer, Ben, of the previous question is our ability to help the patients heal themselves. Because we know you can take two individuals with the same procedure and one will have just great motion. Another patient may develop scar. And it's all about the biology of healing. And I think we're still in the infant steps in terms of the biology of healing. And I think once we're able to uh, modulate that better, uh, albeit without necessarily the jam, uh, I, I think that we're going to be able to control that. But everybody heals differently. And, and I, look, we all know, and Scott, you know, if you have patients that you see they have keloid scars, the way they've healed in the skin, they're probably forming that scar down deeply as well. So their biology of healing is different. And once we have a better handle on that biology of healing, we'll be able to adjust that. Am I allowed to come back in after my fumble? Uh, I don't think you fumbled. <laughs> so I would say, I think there's probably a genetic predisposition that we're just not aware of. I think there are some people come in to the office and literally have 17 joints of arthritis, like every finger digit, knee, you know, back, et cetera. So I think there's always, you know, a probable genetic predisposition, but that's supposition. I don't have any science behind that, but that would be my answer. And I'm going to stick with it. Well, Jeff, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to announce based on my extremely uh, complex scoring system, which I'll have to explain to you another time. It's currently a draw at five points each, and it's going to come down to this <laughs> final question. So the, the pressure is on. Um, so if you had to pick another specialty outside of orthopedics, what would it be? Michael Redler. Oh, uh, boy. Well, I, I feel like I want to have the final Jeopardy music on right now, and I'm sweating it out, trying to have a straight face, and I'm trying to come up with a, an answer that it makes sense. You know, I, I will tell, and, I, and I've told people in the OR all the time, I don't think there's a different type of physician that I could be than an orthopedic surgeon. Uh, you know, I, I love the ability to be able to help people function better. I, I like uh, being able to reconstruct ligaments or take care of bad fractures or take care of athletic injuries. But as it turns out, there's not a lot of other bodily fluids that I actually care for other than I don't mind a little blood here. But if you talk about the other bodily fluids, none of them. <laughs> I mean, you know, and, and, and we, we know what those fluids are. I, I'm not sure that within the confines of this uh, discussion, we have to name them all. And so I would go a different direction. If I couldn't be an orthopedic surgeon. You know, the answer I've always given is I either would have went to shortstop for the Yankees. That position is well taken and, and not one that I'm going to be able to deal with or, or a movie producer or or, or just basically, uh, you know, uh, Scott Sigmund's manager, because, you know, that would be an awesome uh, uh, position as well. <laughs> you, uh, it's definitely a busy position for sure. All right. So uh, first and foremost, I love my job. I wouldn't do anything else, period. Having said that. If I had to choose, I think I would choose brain surgery, not just neurosurgery, but brain surgery. I like to drive cars fast. And so I want to be able to drive down the highway fast, get pulled over by a state trooper and say, I'm a brain surgeon and I have an emergency operation I need to get to. Now, my friend Bruce Cook takes it one step further. He actually calls the stadies before he leaves and has them meet him on the highway, and he gets a police escort. Who doesn't want a state police escort on the way to the hospital? But I'll stick with orthopedics. Pretty sure every state police officer is now writing down his name, just saying. 
<laughs> I've been escorted by the police plenty of times, and I'm not any type of person. So. <laughs> just then. <just> <saying. laughs> well, uh, for, for my part, that's that's it from me, chaps. I'm going to hand back to you, Scott, to sign off. But I do want to say a very big thank you to the people that wrote in questions. We didn't get to get to them all today, and hopefully we can do this again in the near future. So thank you to everyone who engaged and took the time to reach out with a question. And thank you to both of you. Oh, and the winner... It's, I'm going to have to give it to our guest, Michael Redler. I think he took it. It's six to five. Congratulations, Michael. I'll be posting your prize off to you. Your prize is that I'm going to call you by the correct name uh, for the entirety of the, of the next episode. It's amazing. Anything with an English accent sounds so much better. Thank you, Ben. <laughs> so as, as Bobby Flay would always say in, in his throwdowns, the guy never wins. He's a great chef. He never wins. I couldn't think of a better person to lose to than the great Michael Redler. Guys, this is exactly the type of fun stuff that we do here at the Ortho Show. We really appreciate everybody out there that sent in their questions. Thank you to Ben Young, our producer. Thank you to Michael Redler, our special guest. Uh, I want to thank our, our sponsor, Ortho Laser Orthopedic Laser Centers. This is Dr. Scott Sigmund, hashtag follow the fro, host of the Ortho Show. Till next time.